G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm excited yet again to be bringing you the findings of one of my detailed research studies into the two key growth drivers that I actually consider to be the most important contributors to performance of a suburb. And today I'm going to be unpacking what effect these growth drivers have on pricing as well as capital growth rates over a 30-year period. So I'm excited to get into it with you. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. In my quest for finding the best performing suburbs in Perth and the locations within those suburbs that are going to outperform, I've been doing a lot more research and I really wanted to unpack and summarize what I've found. And by, I guess, exploring some of the key growth drivers so we can better understand their effect on both prices and ultimately capital growth rates over time. Broadly speaking, I guess it's well known that prices are highest when we get closest to the city and that we have other factors such as the coastal suburbs being close to the beach. We've got the river that's also very appealing and we've also got other factors like transport accessibility and other things like amenities that all go into, I guess, giving someone a desire to live in a certain area. Now, the key thing to understand high level is that the more desirable something is because of all these factors, then the more people want to live in the location, the greater the demand And the greater the demand, the greater the pressure on prices in good markets and in bad. So today, I'm going to explore two key drivers and look deeper at both the price differentials and the growth differentials where possible. The first of those drivers is living beachside. So... Many people love the lifestyle of the beach, going out for walks, uh, just looking out over the ocean, going down the beach morning and night after work, taking their kids down there for play. It's pretty much the West Australian quintessential lifestyle, isn't it? Not everyone loves the beach. There's some negatives, obviously. There's a being that close, very hard wearing on your property. If you don't love the beach, it's certainly, in my mind, not worth paying for but some people are like yep i have to live have to live close to the beach it's it's part of their whole makeup and and what gets them out of bed in the morning so when we start going and looking into the differences between a beachside suburb and suburb that's one suburb back from the beach i've looked all up and down our coast And I've, for instance, started at the very top and I've compared suburbs like Ocean Reef and Heathridge. I've looked 
then looked at Hillary's and Babri, Scarborough and Inalu, Ocean Reef uh, in Heathridge, mentioned that one already, Trigg and Karanup, City Beach and Floriot, Fremantle, Palmyra, South Fremantle and Beaconsfield, then gone even further south and looked at Coogee and Lake Coogee and Safety Bay and Coolangup. So I took one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine sets of suburbs. So it's by no means an exhaustive and never-ending study, but I could see some direct correlations between all of these, certainly enough that I thought it was worth sharing and unpacking for you. And I went deep enough to see where things started to add up and make sense across all the suburbs. So when I compare the suburbs out of those eight or nine that actually had a marina, and I'm talking more specifically about Ocean Reef, which is under construction but always had some type of marina there. They're extending it and certainly making it a lot more like Hillary's now. And when I look at Hillary's, in the case of both of those suburbs, when I compare them to the suburb that's one suburb back from the beach, prices in those are 60 to 65% higher than get into those suburbs than what you'd pay when you go one suburb back. So it's really interesting. And then when we look further along the whole rest of the coast, there's a quite, quite a tight band between the needing to pay 40 to 50% higher to live in a beachside suburb versus one suburb back. Now, what that looks like in the case of Hillary's would be you're paying eight twenty-five thousand median versus five twenty-five to live in Padbury. So that's fifty-seven percent. In the case of Ocean Reef, seven forty-four median. In the case of Ocean Reef, and four fifty thousand in the case of Heathridge. That's a sixty-five percent difference to to live close to the ocean, closer to the ocean. So you can see it's a big difference and you really have to <laughs> love, love the beach to pay anywhere from 40 to 50% for most of the suburbs or 60 to 65 if you've got a marina, percent if you've got a marina there. Now, the interesting thing when I think about the marina that is under construction at Ocean Reef is because it's been going for such a long time. They originally started their actual planning in 2004 when the state government invested $700,000 in getting the process underway. And I think everyone thought it would have been uh, constructed and done a long time ago, but got stuck in various stages of planning. God, it's so some 16, 17 years now since that process originally began. So when I look at the differential between... Ocean Reef and Heathridge being similar to Hillary's and Padbury, you can see that the price differential has already been brought into Ocean Reef and it's in line with Hillary's already. So that's another interesting thing that price gains don't just happen uh, when something's constructed, they happen when things are announced, they happen along the way in anticipation of something occurring. 
And so there may not be that much more upside for Ocean Reef when this marina gets constructed. But I guess over time it will add to its desirability and maybe Ocean Reef and Heathridge will both move up a bit when it gets constructed and there's a bit more demand for both of those areas as a result. In summary, 40 to 50% higher to be beachside along the majority of the coast and 60 to 65% higher to live in a marina beachside suburb. So how about how did the western suburbs fare in that? Well, it wasn't. When I looked at both City Beach and Floriot and a number of those other western suburb locations there in and around there, the differential was only 20 to 25%. So my best reasoning for that is that there's other factors bringing appeal to those suburbs that are one suburb back when we're talking about the western suburbs. So they have other things like the river that's also close by. There's the private schools and the top 20 schools in there that add strong appeal. And then there's also Lake Munger and Herdsman Lakes that also add appeal. So other factors contribute to, I guess, the differences between suburbs being less and all suburbs being much higher in price. So what sort of gains can we expect for growth? Typically seeing around a 1% to up to 1.5% difference. So not a huge amount you would think when you say 1%, but take that out over 20 years, over 30 years, that compounds. And as I've discussed a previous episode on how important is your growth anyway, a 1% difference can make a huge difference. So there's certainly a case there for considering putting more of your eggs in the basket if you can afford it, or for instance, buying one investment property that is coastal instead of two properties that might be not Uh, coastal because you will get a higher average growth rate when we look back at how they've performed over the last 30 years and you will have to pay that 40 to 50 percent higher so you're going to have to compromise and either look at you know buying one say for every two that you might buy elsewhere and that's going to obviously mean a lower rental yield because rental yield always correlates oppositely to capital growth potential so you need to make sure that you can hold it through good markets and bad and it obviously depends on your overall situation as to how strong your cash flows are and how important that income is and how much that negative gearing is going to affect your serviceability so never just one size fits all when it comes to the choice of a suburb or a recommendation but I'm here to spell out the differences so that you can make an informed choice on whether it's worth going into that beachside suburb or not. So then I've gone one step further and asked myself, what's the cost of being beachside? Not just beachfront within the suburb. I want to be absolute beachfront, uh, beachside, uh, beachfront, yes. Sorry, beachfront of a beachside suburb. There's a tongue twister for you, isn't it? So it is really hard when you do this analysis to quantify differences between uh, properties and find two properties similar enough, one that's on the direct 
side of the beach that looks out and has the views and one that's one, you know, in the street back because there's a huge variety in when properties were built, how they've been built and to what level of standard. Land sizes are very different through there and when they're sold is very different. So even if I could find two, two properties that are alike, often they've been sold at different times or, you know, that's the hardest trouble, isn't it? So I have at least managed to find two sets of properties, one that are at land value that have been sold at a similar time and I found those in Waterman's Bay. So the property that was directly beachfront sold for $2 million and one that was the street up and around, around the, just around the corner that was on Beach Road. The other one was on West Coast Drive. So the one on West Coast Drive sold for $2 million. The one on Beach Road sold for $1.5 million within a similar, uh, within a shorter time period. And they were both very original properties, basically sold at land value. And the difference between them was 500000 So that's approximately a third difference in the price, 33%, which is, I guess, one point of data. And then I also found two similar spec built two-story properties one that was beachside with views fabulous outlook the other that's a bit further up the exact same street and they both sold close together in time one and both of these are in north beach on malcolm street one of them sold the one that was beach front sold for two million two hundred and twenty two thousand and the other one sold for 1.675. So that was a difference of 32.6 or 33% too. So very similar differences between the two, between the land value property and the improved two-storey property. And interestingly, both of them were quite large differences apart in the number of years so one of them was in 2007 and one of them was in 2012. So not in the same, all of them in the same year sets. And so that shows that basically even when you pay 40 to 50% higher to live in, in the suburbs, then you're going to have to pay another 33% on average higher to be absolute beachside, beachfront. So I hope that, hope that hopefully that all makes sense. And it was impossible for me to work out if those direct beachfront properties are going to grow at a higher rate, average annual growth rates because like they're so infrequently sold and the data for each of them wasn't available when the, they were last sold. So we can't go back and it's each of them has been in the case of the improved ones each of them has been improved since so that would have been a nice comparison if i could go back but yeah it's a shame it's so hard to uh to get data when it's when it's a lot older and when pop people have held on to properties for such a long time so maybe i'll get back to you if i ever do find some price points that can show the capital growth is also higher you'd expect it to be higher and I think ultimately when you're choosing to live directly 
beachfront, that's more is more of a lifestyle choice, and I'm certain that you will do better for for capital growth ongoingly because after all, capital growth is desirability, and what's more desirable than a view out over the beach when you wake up in the morning? So, providing that you build something that is also widely desirable in the market. Now, land is always going to be because people are just looking at the land value and what they can build, but what you build shouldn't be too unique that it doesn't still appeal in the market. So hopefully that makes sense when we talk about beachside locations versus one suburb back and the extra that you'd need to pay, the extra capital growth that you can potentially get at 1% per annum average annual growth rates. And now I wanted to go into my second big growth driver that has a massive effect on things, and that is schools. Now, I didn't really understand the desirability of, of quality schooling until we had our daughter. And I started thinking about, it was about a year and a half odd in when she's, when I'm, people are asking me quite a few times, then where are you going to send her to school? Well, was, my default response initially was, wow, I haven't even thought about that. When enough people had asked me, I started to have to think about it. And the link between where you live, what price you pay, and what quality of school that gets you was it was like a whole new world for me. So I just saw very quickly that there's a direct link and it's a huge driver of prices. And then as a sales agent, it also helped me immensely because I'd all, I always now look up what catchment both primary school and high school are given properties in when I'm selling it and certainly look to sell the, the benefits of different schools over others. So what were my observations when it came to looking into schools and how they affect price and capital growth? So I found that the top 10 schools, according to the Better Education Rankings, are all private schools and they're within majority of them are within the western suburbs and seven out of the 10 are, are actually in the western suburbs and all are in high priced areas out of all 10 are in high priced areas so you think about why those schools are able to perform it does come down to them having the money and uh, their school fees being correspondingly high the people that live in those areas have higher priced uh, properties and they can also afford those higher school fees and it therefore goes around in a cycle and adds to making those locations better and making them more sought after, which the school feeds the location, the desirability of the location and its performance also feed the school. Looking then at the rest of the top 20 schools, I found that there's three public schools that are in that top 20. So only three out of the 20, wow. But those schools are doing very well, have got great reputations, and as a result, they're highly desirable because people can go to move within the catchment and they don't have anywhere near the level of private school fees to pay when when the, the kids are sent public, everyone would understand that at a high level. 
So you can basically pay the extra to go in and live within a good school catchment zone and put the extra into your house and into what your interest rate payments are instead of potentially living in a lesser location or a different location and then choosing to send your kids to private school. So when I've uh, chosen to move into the western suburbs, I've also moved within a quality high school catchment. So I'm still going to decide whether to, to send mine to a high school, a public school, or whether we um, end up paying the extra for private school. But the, at least you've got the choice when you move in there. So what were those three public schools? Now, many people might have heard their names before, but here I'm going to analyse the actual differences in price and growth rate. So those schools are Rossmoyne, Wilson and Mount Lawley. Congratulations if you're within one of them because your house price is growing at a high rate. <laughs> so when it comes to two of those schools, Willerton and Rossmoyne, they're actually quite closely located and I think the competition and rivalry actually benefits both of them because they're trying to outdo each other and people know the the area as having two quality schools that so when they're looking they often don't mind if they end up one side of the catchment versus the other but what I can see when I compare each of those suburbs Williton and Rossmoyne with the neighboring suburbs that don't fall in their high school zone catchment there seems to be around a one percent increase in the 30-year average annual growth rates compared to the neighboring suburbs that it don't have a top 20 school. So very interesting that you can either get a 1% increase if you want to live beachside or you can get around a 1% increase if you want to have a one of these quality public schools. And interesting that when you go and live within the western suburbs, you're probably getting the combined effect of both schools and desirability of coast and rivers, waterways. So... Starts to add up, doesn't it? And also tie back into my study on why those higher priced areas have been the higher performing areas over the 30 years too. To go back and listen to that episode if you haven't checked it out, how important is your capital growth anyway? I think it was episode, uh, well, you're going to have to check it out. I'm not sure. Put it in the show notes. So we also, when we look down deeper, we could see that there was a, a very tight band of a 60 to 70% increase in the house price that you would need to pay compared to the neighbouring suburbs that are not in the school catchment for Willerton and Rossmoyne. So that was very interesting that you have to pay 60 to 70%. And unlike the case of the beachfront properties, so when we were directly beachfront, I, f I found that there was a, a very real increase in price that you would have to pay. But when it comes to schools, you don't want to be directly school front. It, it's, I can't quantify what the difference is that will hurt your price because it's a very hard study to do. But I've sold properties that are directly on the school pickup area and they really are less desirable and will have less buyers interested 
So you'd prefer to be one street back and still within walking distance of a school and not directly on the school. So I thought it was worth pointing that out because uh, being beachfront's good, but school front's not. So when I looked at the suburbs, uh, I looked at Ross Moyne, I compared it to Wilson and Leeming, and I noticed as well that some of the other intake suburbs benefited strongly from being in the Ross Moyne catchment. That's areas like Bateman, Brentwood, Bull Creek, parts of Riverton and Shelley. And then I looked at Willerton and compared Parkwood because that was directly next to it. And I wanted to make sure as well that the school was the direct contributor. So in the case of Ross Moyne, it is benefiting from also being located on the river. So there's some definite benefit there that's adding to its desirability. But in the case of Willerton, we could directly see that Parkwood that had a a school ranking of 96 versus Willerton's ranking of 18 was a very clear-cut difference. And the, the prices differentiated by 67% needing to pay extra to get into Willerton, and you could see a 1% difference in uh, average annual growth rate over the 30 years. Now, I was hoping for the same exact correlation of a 60 to 70% increase in house prices and 1% increase in growth when I went to Mount Lawley, but uh, Mount Lawley did have a 60 to 70% increase in price needed, between Bedford and Bayswater. But for whatever reason, and I can't explain this at the moment, uh, Bedford and Bayswater have both performed better for capital growth. So I can't explain it, but potentially Mount Lawley has always been a more quality location close to the city. But over the 30-year period, I suspect that Bedford and Bayswater have gone through a massive gentrification, massive improvement at some point, and that has distorted the growth figures and made them perform better than than Mount Lawley has. So always worth analysing and deciding if it's worth paying the extra to get into a location. And the long and short of it is that you are going to have to pay 60 to 70% increase to get into a quality school location. And in the case of Willerton, Ross Moyne ended up with a 1% better, around a 1% better growth rate over the 30 years. When we looked at the beach side, you needed to pay 60 to 65% higher to get into a marina area and a 40 to 50% higher at a beachside suburb compared to one, one suburb back. So is it worth paying it? That's only up to you to decide, is it worth putting more eggs or two eggs uh, in the one basket, combining your budget together and buying a more quality property? I'd suggest that if you can afford to hold it, then it will do much better for you over the longer term, but only you can know what's going to best fit in your situation. So hopefully that's given you some clarity on those two growth drivers I'll be back in the future to explain other growth drivers. I'm doing a whole bunch of research on train stations and infrastructure at the moment, which I'll be bringing to you 
in another episode soon. Catch you on the next one.